Awesome. Hi, everybody. I'm Mike Hancock, the chairman of the Circle of Excellence Group, and uh, welcome to today's call. Uh, we're departing from business a little bit today because we're actually going to look after your health and well-being with Cherie Hanna or Cherie Beaumont as a given name, but Cherie Hanna is the brand. Exciting things happening in Cherie's world because I was just chatting to her for about an hour before we were talking today and Cherie may mention some of that stuff, but uh, I've got to know Cherie over the last few years, although she only recently joined Circle of Excellence this year, and I have to say that... Uh, She's always impressed Landy and I as somebody who's always had a true vision, not only for her own business and herself and her life, but also for the well-being of others. And those of you that were on the call early, uh, earlier, just before the, we ticked over the hour, the, the question I asked Cherie was, you know, what do you really want to achieve before the end of the year? And uh, her answer to that was, she just wants to be able to serve. And I think that... Uh, you know, I think that's really testament to the way in which you live your life, Cherie, and, and the way in which you approach the world as well, is that you are really here to be of service to people. So people aren't here to listen to me. They're here to listen to you. I've given you co-hosting rights. So uh, everybody give a big uh, round of applause and a welcome for Cherie. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for that introduction. It's great to have so many of you here. Um, I've got a little presentation that I've prepared and uh, it'll be great just to get started just to see where everyone is joining from. I know um, some of you have already mentioned, but just to see where everyone is around the world because, gosh, what we're dealing with at the moment in terms of health and stress is a worldwide issue. Of course, we've got um, Colleen joining us from South Africa. I know that's where Mike is. People will be shy. You've got Melbourne, Australia there with Philippe. Don't be shy. Be as interactive as you want. <laughs> Awesome. So as we go through today, please feel free to unmute yourself or um, pop your questions in the chat box. I am wanting to make sure that I, like I said, my goal is to be here of service. And if we end up on a tangent, that's totally fine. If that's really good, what, what your body needs, what you need. So we've got someone from Malaysia and Lebanon or South Africa. Oh, someone else in New Zealand. <laughs> You're in the free city. Um, Mozambique. Awesome. All right. Well, welcome to today, the Stress Connection, whether it's morning, evening, um, we're going to be diving into one of the biggest topics that I think, or is, is actually more of the epidemic in the world that's going on at the moment. So when it comes to our health, when it comes to looking at what's going on in our bodies, we have this equation that is going on worldwide. We have poor soil quality. We have poor food quality. This quite often leads to poor food choices on top of how accessible food now is. We are living more and more indoors. We're exercising a lot less, decreased sun exposure on top of the increased stresses. Even just in the last year and a half, two years, the stress, the stress factor has gone up astronomically. And so we're seeing a decrease in nutrients. Um, and you, we're having an increase, sorry, in nutrient deficiencies. We're seeing compromised well-being, and our immune systems are being downregulated as a result of all of this going on at once. Whether you've got one part of the equation or all parts of the equation, it's still going to be taking a toll on your body and on your health. And so now more than ever, and we know this, right? There is a pandemic going on now more than ever. Your health is paramount, and there is this massive toll that it's taking on our mental health just as much as our physical health. Yes, there is a virus that's infecting the body. Yes, there is um, immune system suppression going on, but our mental health is really, really being impacted. And this is something that is very near and dear to my heart, but it's also something that I see um, isn't being talked about enough in this space. We're seeing suicide rates on the rise. We're seeing a whole lot of new stresses come about because there's such a time of uncertainty. We don't know what's happening next. It's changing globally every single day. And so this level of uncertainty is creating even more stress in our bodies, more stress in our minds. The antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication is skyrocketing in some countries up by about 70%. You'll see I've got a little graph there showing just how much mental stress has been impacted by COVID. You can see that 
in the UK or almost doubled and it's almost four times in the US in terms of the effect that it's having on depression, anxiety and mental health. So this isn't just about physical health here, this actually is about the toll that it's taking on the, on the mind. And so we need to have a look at this in a full picture and a holistic perspective and that's exactly what I do when I work with clients. So today we're going to be covering the connection between your gut and the brain because our immune system is tied into the gut health and our brain is obviously tied heavily into mental health. So looking at the connection between these two, then something called sympathetic nervous system dominance, which I guess is a fancy way of often saying people are burnt out and uh, overworked, overwhelmed. We're also going to be looking at the impact of stress and what that can do to your body um, in respect to your hormone health as well. In South Africa this morning, there was a report on the radio from Discovery saying that visits to psychologists are up by 17%. Yeah, and it just continues to grow. And so my hope uh, from today's call is that you're going to be able to have some key takeaways some things that you're going to be able to do to support your brain and support your gut health so that you're looking after your mind and your body. Cool. So this is my one of my favorite quotes. You'll see a few of these pop up through the presentation, but you only get one true home in this lifetime, and that is the body that you're living in every single day. Our physical surroundings might change, our the people around us might change, but our true home is the physical meat suit that we're living in day in, day out. And so for a lot of people, this is the thing that comes last. We're more likely to go and get a warrant of fitness on our car than we are to get a warrant of fitness on our health. And so it's about changing the narrative, changing the story now so that you actually are putting your health first, because as we know, that is what's most paramount. So just a little bit about me and my story. I was actually diagnosed with an autoimmune condition, meaning that my body naturally has a lower immunity, uh, something called celiac disease when I was 22 months old. So I haven't really known life without it, but essentially it's meaning that I cannot eat gluten, never will be able to eat gluten. My body starts to attack itself if I was to, and it can lead to, to cancer down the road. So something I definitely avoid and stay away from. This restrictive mentality that I grew up, especially back when I was born, gluten-free wasn't a cool thing. It wasn't a trendy word. It was something that if you found it in the supermarket, it was probably harder than a rock in terms of the bread. If you were to throw it against the wall, it was not worth eating. Uh, luckily for me, things have changed now, but this did lead to a very restrictive mindset growing up, which led me down the path of calorie counting and really wanting to so I guess punish my body um, when it came to overeating if I, was, if I wasn't following what I needed to be following and exercise was my way to release that. And I ended up developing an eating disorder, which again takes its toll on your physical and mental health. I was binging and purging um, and as a way to, to really form control. This led my body to start to break down. And actually at my, you can see at my leanest over there, I was 9% body fat, which is beyond unhealthy for a female to be at and my and my body the wear and tear the stress that I've been putting on my body caused me to um, actually tear what's called my meniscus inside my knee at the age of 21 and then again at age 22 because I was stuck in the cycle my body wasn't able to prepare pop prepare properly at the same time I was on something called the oral contraceptive pill, which as many of you know is a form of con contraceptive, but it shuts down your hormones inside your body. So again, my body was running on pure stress and adrenaline. Couple this with the fact that I was a full-time uni student and starting my own business and trying to have a social life <laughs> at a young age, I ended up hitting complete burnout. And it was at this point that I knew there had to be something outside of the traditional calorie counting and exercise, you know, more than you eat for there to be a real chance for me to heal because I was exercising, I was eating well, um, aside from the binges and the purging going on. And I knew that there had to be something more to this. And I, I sought out a holistic approach and that's when my life truly changed. And we looked at the mental issues that I was struggling with, as well as the physical issues that my body was, was battling. So another favorite quote from me, and this is really where it all starts to tie together, that all disease begins in the gut. And this is by Hippocrates around 2,500 years ago. 
he was pretty onto it and it's a shame that we didn't kind of continue down that path but here we are now gut health has got such a a big connotation to it and so I want to give you a little bit of context around what gut health can mean what it truly means but the reason I love this quote so much is because it's not just talking about physical disease it's actually referring to mental health as well so what is your microbiome now, many of you may have heard of this, many of you may not have, that's totally fine. I'll give you the Gut Health 101. When it comes to microbiome, essentially it is just the makeup of all the different microbes or organisms that are living in your gut. So some of them are bacteria. And essentially what happens is we get overgrowths of good bacteria and overgrowths of bad bacteria. We can have a complete imbalance. When it's an imbalance, it's called dysbiosis. And so we do actually still want to have a few bad guys in there. We want to have majority being good, but we actually have more um, microbes in our body, trillions and trillions of them, than we do human cells. So some beg to ask the question whether or not we are simply the host. Not sure that I'm quite there yet, but uh, you do have a lot more of these, these little bugs inside your, inside your small intestine and large intestine than you do of your human cells inside your entire body. It is quite fascinating. And so what you do to alter your microbiome is what really impacts your overall health and well-being. That's how we actually have E. coli in our bodies and it's only bad when it leaves its natural home. Yes, thank you, Matthew. Awesome. Cool. So I'm not going to ask you which ones because these can be a little bit embarrassing, <laughs> but I do ask you to give yourself a score out of 10. If you can pop that in the chat box, signs and symptoms of gut imbalance. Do you experience any bloating, any constipation or diarrhea, any gas or reflux? Do you know that you have some food sensitivities or maybe even food intolerances? Do you experience any brain fog or mood swings? Um, do you find you have bursts or bouts or are diagnosed with depression or anxiety? Are you someone that struggles with fatigue on a daily basis? Do you have abdominal pain at all? Or do you find that you get adult acne or eczema or psoriasis or any skin issues? So I'll give you a little bit of time to three, two, two, good. Eight. All right. Fatigue mostly around a one out of 10. Okay. Gets it. And I, that's in pretty, pretty good condition then for most of you for. So I would say anything above a two, you really want to be investigating that maybe there's something a little bit deeper going on as to why you're getting the chronic bloating or your body's going through um, changes in the bowel movements or that sort of thing. Yeah, a couple of fours coming through there. So just be mindful of those as we go through because everything I talk to is going to help you reset that, um, that gut health. Awesome. All right. So let's have a look at the gut-brain axis and how the body is truly connected. So we've got over here our stress that comes in, and this is where stress really ties into the whole picture. We've got our stress that pops into the brain, and then the brain sends a message down to the gut through something called your vagus nerve, and then the gut is talking to or the inside the gut there are little microbes that get affected and then that sends a message back up to the brain so it works in this little loop right as you'll see over in this diagram over here if we've got a healthy central nervous system so your mind is in a really good mental state you're really positive and you know you look after your mental health very well uh, you're probably going to find that it has a really positive impact on your gut you'll see normal behavior and emotions regulated activity of inflammation cells. So your body is not chronically in a state of inflammation, which most of you scoring yourself a two or under on that, looking pretty good. And you're probably going to have a relatively good balance of your microbiome. So another name for that is your gut flora. On the other side of this, if there are some mental health issues, there's some depression or anxiety or increased stress, all fall under the abnormal CNMS, you may find that there are changes in your mood and behavior. You may find that your body feels more inflamed, more puffy, more likely to retain more water, and this is going to affect your gut. Now, vice versa works here. You can see the arrows are pointing in both directions. 
if your gut is happy, if you're putting nourishing foods in, if you're treating your body well, if you are actually taking care of the little microbes that live inside you, then chances are that's going to have a nice positive effect on your brain. But if your gut is out of balance, if you're not fueling your body right, if you're not exercising regularly, if you're not getting out to the sunshine enough, all of those fun things, then you probably find that this starts to take its toll on your mental health. So just seeing the connection there should hopefully help link up or connect a few of the dots in terms of how the gut and the brain are connected. So your gut now is termed as your second brain. Just seeing the chat pop up. Sunshine is a big one for happiness. Sure is where we get our vitamin D from. In fact, the reason why is because it, it helps with um, something called seasonal affective disorder. So we need that vitamin D to reduce the sad that happens. So our gut being our second brain, our gut and our brain are actually made of the same tissue. Now, when I learned that, it blew my mind because that is one of the key things on how they communicate. Now, this allows our gut to act like a second brain because they talk to each other through something I mentioned just before called the vagus nerve, which is a central nerve inside your body, something that can be activated through diaphragmatic breathing, um, other things like breath work, and even just trigger points in the body. The world needs more hugs. Yes. <laughs> so through this communication between the gut and the brain, through this vagus nerve, the gut, if it's been fed something that probably isn't too happy about, will communicate to the brain and that can affect your mood. This is where we see those highs and lows. You may find that, for example, let's take sugar is something that a lot of people feel really good about at the time. Why? Because the bad bugs love sugar. They really want to feed you to be feeding them sugar. And then afterwards, you'll crash, so your energy will drop, but also the bugs are then, you're, are then starting to overgrow and that can start to tip the balance out of whack and we can end up feeling worse for wear. And so if this happens and it's accumulation over time, constantly feeding them sugar or too much alcohol or you're constantly under stress, then those bugs are going to like, continue to send messages up to the brain through releasing little toxins not being very happy with you and your mental state starts to shift. Cool. Any questions on this? So now I'm going through it quite fast. We're good. Perfect. Okay. So let's look at the connection between food and mood. Now, when it comes to, this is again, one of, one of my favorite facts. <laughs> and when it comes to hormone health, it's something I'm extremely passionate about. One of our beautiful hormones is called serotonin. Now, serotonin is kind of our happiness hormone. It is the one that gives us the most mood and uplifting. If you think about the hugs, right? If you think about hugging, that releases oxytocin, but it's also quite often a form of giving, a giving affection, giving love, and that boosts your serotonin levels. If you were to give someone a gift from your heart, you'll probably find your serotonin levels boost. It's not like dopamine. A lot of you may have heard of dopamine in terms of you know, your phone, the constant notifications, that's, that's almost the opposite. Um, serotonin is kind of that warmth and that loving one. Um, quite interesting. Some people, even though they spend lots of time in the sun, can be vitamin D deficient. Very, very true. Um, why this would be sometimes it can be the body's not absorbing it properly. Um, you have to, this is how ridiculous it is. In order to get enough vitamin D, you really have to be in the sun between the hours of 11 and 1 for 15 minutes with maximal, maximal exposure. So pretty much out there in your bikini or your togs, um, which I can guarantee about 99% of us aren't doing on a regular basis. So that is why we end up also being vitamin D deficient. It's more of that than anything else. Because when, And then you think about winter too, um, the vitamin D levels and, and the rays from the sun aren't often as potent either. So most people do need to, to boost their vitamin D stores. Do get this tested though. Do not take that as a blanket approach um, because too much vitamin D can be toxic in the body. <laughs> Eat a rainbow. Yes, and um yeah love that Matthew thank you for sharing oxytocin dopamine and serotonin the trio of love and power so 90 in fact some research suggests up to 95 percent of serotonin which is our happiness hormone is actually produced in our gut so we're quite often thinking we're quite often told that you know we just need to change our positive 
thought, change our thoughts to being more positive, change the stories in our head. Yes, that is a huge component. But if your gut is not happy and your environment inside the gut isn't happy, you're not going to be producing one of the key hormones that actually helps your body feel at its best, that lifts your mood in general. And so when we look at serotonin from a mental health perspective, it is actually a natural antidepressant. And so when I've worked with clients time and time again, a lot of them come to me with anxiety or feelings of not enoughness or feeling really low state a lot of the time. And that is because their gut health is being severely impaired. And so when we treat the gut, we actually see quite a massive shift. In fact, I've had clients come off medication for anxiety and depression purely from healing their gut and doing an intensive gut protocol. And so as part of doing this healing work, you should start to notice that your, your uh, mood lifts. Alcohol and poor quality food can actually re- deplete serotonin or reduce the production. And they've actually seen in terms of adolescent mental health, that diet quality alone was an independent risk factor. So it's really important to understand that actually the food that you're putting into your body does have a massive impact on your mood. So let's look at our immune system and how all of this seems to link together. So 70% of your immune system actually lives in your gut. Let that sink in. If you are not looking after your gut health, 70% of it has the potential to be downregulated, to be impaired, and stress takes its toll on your gut health. The more stressed you are, the more that the bacteria tends to shift that ratio between good and bad. We also find something called leaky gut tends to happen. So when you're stressed, there's more inflammation in the gut. This tends to cause the gut wall. So you have little gut wall, little villi that absorb thing, but then you have the gut wall. That gut wall starts to separate and open. And this allows other substances other than what is meant to pass through the gut wall to pass through the gut wall. For example, food and food sensitivities start to develop. Other viruses, bacteria, pathogens start to spread through the bloodstream and then the rest of your body is greatly impacted. So if we can focus on minimizing our stress and that may be stress through work, that may be stress through relationships, that may be stress through food, that is going to have an amazing effect on your immune system. If we can reduce the stress input, then we're going to be able to boost our immune system's output. So when it comes to your gut health analysis, this is a key takeaway that I do suggest you do. (laughs) And feel free, if I pop my email at the end, if you want to do this and send it through, I will happily have a look at it because... (laughs) It's something I talk about with my clients all the time is the poop. So we get, we get talking about that very easily, very quickly, because the bowel movements are a direct insight into your overall health. It's not something that we're used to talking about, very taboo to be talking about poo, but let's bridge that connection. Let's look into our health. It's one of the easiest ways for us to see what's going on. So transit test. What you want to do is have about half or a quarter of a cup of corn, the little yellow corn kernels, and take note of the time you eat them. I normally suggest doing it at dinner time and then see what time they come out. Not the most pleasant thing to be doing, but keep an eye on it. Do not take, make sure you haven't had any corn for a few days prior and then take note and then take note when it comes out. The ideal time frame you're looking for is about 12 to 24 hours. If you're inside that, things are pretty good. If you're outside that, we really need to investigate why you're outside that. We should be having a bowel movement every single day and passing about 30 centimeters a day. Not encouraging you to get your ruler in there. No, that's that's a bit too far. Looking for the corn is fine, but you should be able to have a bit of a bit of an eyeball and see how much you are passing. And just bringing this curiosity, bringing this awareness to your health. We should be having one, but no more than three bowel movements a day. We should be finding that they sink rather than float. If it's floating, there can be underlying issues such as gallbladder issues. And we also want to make sure that they are very easy to pass and a smooth sausage-like consistency. So little things that you can start to look at in terms of your gut health to really check in and go, 
how is my body being impacted? Do I notice that, for example, when I'm more stressed, I have more urgency around getting to the bathroom? Is my, are my bowel movements more loose during that time? Because stress can impact that. Am I noticing that I'm holding on to something? Maybe I'm having concerns about a tough conversation and my whole body starts to tighten up. Are you more constipated during that time? So you may not experience this frequently, but just start to notice how your body is actually impacted by stress and your gut takes a massive toll of this. Any questions before I move on from gut? Awesome. So if we look at my first case study, so Helen came to me, she's a full-time worker from home, a regular exerciser, in fact, probably exercised a little bit too much, but she ate well, right? Most of us think we eat relatively well. She had adult acne, she bloated all the time, diagnosed with something called IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, and she often fell sick. So this was the key one, one of the key indicators for me was that she was constantly getting sick all the time. And so we did a gut analysis, which is what I just shared with you. We tracked her microbiome um, and bowel movements for entirety of two weeks. And then we also did a microbiome mapping. So this is where you actually send a stool sample away, um, functional medicine testing, and it comes back giving you a real insight into all the bugs that are going on in your gut, if there are overgrowths, if there are issues, if there are parasites even, which are far more common than you would think. And then we implemented a gut protocol because her microbiome mapping came back showing that she actually had very little bacteria in her body. So that's something else that stress can play a massive role in. I talked about how there can be more bad than good, and that can be an issue. Sometimes we see that the bacteria in the gut is so minuscule that it's barely holding on by a thread. And when that happens, that allows space. Think of If you think of an empty hotel room, like big penthouse, if you can fill that up with a whole lot of parasites, there's lots and lots of room for them to party. Whereas we want to have this overgrowth or this beautiful abundance of this really good bacteria so that they crowd out and they're actually able to fight off those bad guys that aren't supposed to be here. So once we got her results back, we started implementing a gut protocol, which enabled us to rebuild her microbiome. As a result, skin was cleared, her cortisol levels started to drop because there wasn't so much inflammation going on in the gut. Now, cortisol being our stress hormone. So when we actually treated the gut, the stress levels started to go down and her immune system actually came back online and she was able to finally clear a lot of the, the colds and the viruses and stop getting sick for, from that point on because she was looking after herself. Um, and now I have two... Uh, their father is also impacted in that. Yeah. How long did the rebuild take before she felt better? So it typically takes at least three months to rebuild the gut at minimum. In fact, it's more of a detoxification stage for many people. She didn't have any, she did have a parasite in there. So it's three months of removing the parasite because the parasite can live, um, has, a, has a monthly life cycle. We need to kill it at each of its phases. Then after that, it takes six months to rebuild. Um, at a minimum. And again, this varies depending on age, how long the body's been there. Um, but it can be a lengthy process. And that's why it's so important to be doing these things now as much as possible. And that doesn't mean going and getting all the prebiotic food that you can eat, because if you've got an imbalance of bacteria, you can actually cause that imbalance to grow further because prebiotic food, things like your yogurt, your sauerkraut, your kombucha, your kimchi, all these fad foods now that are on the market don't distinguish between good and bad bacteria. They just feed whatever's in the gut. So it is very important to start to figure out what's going on in your body and then treat it accordingly. Cool. So sympathetic nervous system dominance. This is, if you look at the body as yin and yang, having both sides to the body, we have our sympathetic and our parasympathetic nervous system. Now, in today's world and modern society, particularly with this pandemic, most people are living in this sympathetic nervous system. Now, your sympathetic nervous system is essentially when your body is producing high levels of cortisol, it's running on adrenaline, and it is actually causing you to live in the state of constant chronic stress. 
On the other side of that, we have our parasympathetic nervous system, which is responsible for our rest, our digestion, our repair, and our reproduction. And if we're constantly being pulled into this fight or flight response, which is our stress state, we're going to constantly be reducing how much that we're living in our parasympathetic state, which means less repair, less reproduction, re reproductive abilities, less ability to even rest and digest our food properly. Could stress levels be decreasing the vaccine efficiency as people are living in constant stress and fear? There's so much um, research pro and against. I honestly couldn't comment accurately on that, especially because it's such a new thing to come out. And um, we'll we'll be we'll be aware in a few years' time. Um, and Matthew says, "I'm sorry, that's no worries. Um, you'll be able to watch the recording. Thanks for joining." Okay. So let's have a look at the central nervous system. I can talk about the fast. Are we talking about that in a little bit, Colleen? Um, so if we look at the central nervous system, you can see that balance is the key, but we don't actually want this to be 50-50, right? The balance actually gets to look something different. We would like to spend, or my idea would be for you to spend 23 hours out of 24 hours in your parasympathetic state. One of those hours would be your sympathetic nervous system, and that might be if you're exercising. So exercising, as I was talking to Mike and those of you who are here earlier, is actually a stress on the body. So it's not going to be tapping into that parasympathetic nervous system state unless you're doing something like yin yoga. And even then, we're still moving the body. So we want to really be focusing on things that are winding us down. Now, with your sympathetic nervous system, your body is like pushing the pedal to the metal. You're going all guns blazing, focusing on what you're doing. In fact, if you pause right now and pop a hand on your heart and a hand on your belly, just check in and see how you're breathing. Are you even inflating your belly when you breathe? Are you breathing in and out through your nose? Are you breathing more into your chest? Let me know in the chat if you're breathing more into your chest or more into your belly. Belly, chest, equal in both, but all nose. Cool. Short breaths, belly through nose, beautiful. Belly, chest, through the nose to chest. Okay, so this is something that it is the one thing actually that we know from science that can help us shift from a sympathetic state to a parasympathetic state. So if you pause now and pop both hands on your belly, and we do definitely want to be breathing through our nose, it calms the body down as well. If you can't do that just yet, that's all right. But pop both hands on your belly and take a deep breath in and see if you can inflate your hands. So breathing into your hands for four, three, two, one, and then exhale from your belly, four, three, two, one. And that may have been really hard the first time. So give it another go, breathing into your belly. And then out from your belly. Six is the magic number. Probably notice even the way that I'm speaking, I've slowed down a little bit. My nervous system is already just after two deep breaths starting to calm down. So when we're in our parasympathetic state, we've got most of the blood circulating around, circulating around our digestive organs. When we're in our when, and when we're in our sympathetic state, our blood shifts so that we can go into fight or flight. If you think about this from a survival standpoint, you know, back a few centuries ago when we were cavemen living where there were tigers and real actual threats to our lives, our bodies were running or our bodies were getting ready to run away from those sorts of things maybe once every six months. Mike says, with this breathing technique, lower blood pressure. Yes, if you are someone that is constantly stressed. Yes, yeah, and it would have in turn effect, positive effects on your health and lower your cortisol levels, which would in turn lower your blood pressure. But I wouldn't say it's a direct technique. 
Yeah. But if you think about it from this perspective, you know, men may have been out there hunting, women may have been out there gathering, and this lion may have appeared. That may have happened once every six months, one would hope. And that's when your body would go into fight or flight. Your life was literally in danger and you would run away from that. Now it is as simple as opening up your phone in the first thing in the morning. And our body starts to breathe um, very shallowly and our heart rate starts to increase and our stress levels and our cortisol starts to rise. And when we're in this fight or flight state, think about it from if you were in the middle of an argument, right? Happens to the best of us. If you're in the middle of an argument, you quite often can't remember all of the things that you would have, you know, that you really want to say, or even if you've just learned a new technique on how to be calm and present in this moment and handle the argument a little bit differently, because your brain is focused primarily on your long-term memory. There is no time for growth and development during this time because your body is focused on survival. On the other hand, when you're in a parasympathetic state, you can think a lot more logically. You can actually absorb in new information. So from this point in the presentation on, you'll probably absorb more information because you just did some more breathing and tapped into your parasympathetic state. And your body is actually able to develop even in terms of things like pregnancies. You're actually able to grow another human life because you are not in a state of stress and survival. This little quote down there that says you cannot be in growth and protection at the same time. So let's talk about that real and perceived stress. We have the lion that was actually life-threatening to you. And then we have our notifications. I don't know about you, but if I woke up in the morning and saw that many notifications on my phone, I think the first thought would be like, yay. And then the second thought, I would be freaking out about trying to get back to everyone. Um, good question. How do you find define stress? And that's, it is going to be different to everyone, but it's it's the heart rate increasing. It's the, it's the cortisol levels rising. It is the blood pressure building up. It's all of the signs. For me, stress is the signs and symptoms that the body shows. And so for everyone, there's going to be a different level. There's going to be different things. And that's where we're talking about the real and the perceived stress. So if we are actually in a life-threatening situation versus, for example, the notifications, or maybe you got an email in your inbox that really pissed you off. Your body's not going to be in a state, it shouldn't be in a state of fight or flight when that happens, because that could happen numerous times a day. You could be in a highly stressful work situation. And if you're living in that constant state of fight or flight, then your body is producing more and more cortisol, which is producing more and more of your stress hormone, which is stopping the body from burning fat as a fuel source results in holding on to the fat and relying on blood sugars to burn through and we end up living in this rushing on the go adrenaline filled syndrome um just to add to the common blood pressure there is a number of causes of blood pressure yes stress but also things like atherosclerosis weight kidney dysfunction so always good to cover all bases yeah exactly that's why i said it's not a direct correlation and felt calm and peace and happiness yeah so exactly Angela you can be in a space of pure calmness even in a space that someone else may have been completely stressed out and so it's really about your perception of the stress and you get to choose how your body handles that and how your body responds so this is actually what's happening in our parasympathetic and our, our sympathetic nervous system so if you think about if you were to be running away from the tiger, you're not going to be needing saliva because you're not worried about food at this point. <laughs> your airways are relaxed so you can get more, lung, more air into your lungs. You will increase your heartbeat so you can plump, pump blood faster around the body. You're going to stop stomach activity because, again, you're not worried about the digestion of food. You're going to... Um, you're actually going to inhibit the gallbladder and stimulate the release of glucose. So glucose to be fuel source so that you can actually run away or fight. And then you're going to stop the activity of the intestine. All of this is shutting down your digestive system. So if you're someone that's living in a state of stress all day, every day, and you're putting food in your body, but your gut is having the communication from your mind that you're stressed, you can start to see how this impacts your gut health, how this impacts your food, how this impacts how you're feeling, whether you get bloated, whether you feel sluggish, whether you feel fatigued. On the other side of this 
is pretty much the opposite. It's where most of our digestion goes on. So we're going to stimulate the saliva. We're going to slow down the heartbeat, allow the body to digest our foods with our, stom with our stomach and with our intestines. The body's stress response is directly linked to one's ability to adapt to its world. Perfect. Exactly. And so this is where our perception of stress really plays a big role. So if you're telling yourself the story that you're surrounded by stress, then your body is going to respond to that physically and mentally and emotionally. Whereas if we change the narrative in circumstances where we, you know, it is in our control, then we start to change our body's response to the stress. So when we're in a state of sympathetic nervous system dominance, we see that our blood sugar levels are imbalanced. We see that we're emotional and we have more mood swings. You're running around on adrenaline, your inflammation levels are high, your body suppresses its immune system and you have trouble sleeping, which is something that I see more often than not in people who are living in this sympathetic nervous system dominance. And so I pose this question to you. What if we prioritized recharging ourselves as much as we prioritize recharging our phones. Because I don't know anyone that would leave the house with their phone on 10 to 15% charge with no charger in their bag, wallet, or whatever they're doing. But how many of us would leave home running around on empty, running around on 10 to 15% and constantly needing that extra recharge? Yeah. Perfect question. Yeah. So let's look at Nicole. She was a mum of two in a really high stress job, regularly exercised, ate well, right? We're doing a lot of the right things. She was a chronic people pleaser, however, and is super, super in love with her caffeine. <laughs> She came to me because she was constantly bloated, feeling overwhelmed. She'd done heaps of restrictive diets and nothing seemed to last. She also was experiencing adult acne. We did a gut analysis. We didn't do the full comprehensive stool test because I could tell that this wasn't actually a gut issue. This was more of a stress issue. We looked at her schedule and we looked at the food that she was putting into her body just to make sure that, thanks, thank you, Kevin, um, that she didn't have to, she didn't have any food intolerances going on. So what we shifted was we made her self-care a priority. We did clean up her food a little bit and we looked at how she ate her food rather than focusing so much on what she was eating. We added in clearer boundaries with her work and then she really started to see some shifts. So bloating was completely disappeared. Once she started to focus on her chewing of her food, calming down her body, her skin cleared up, she had more time with her family and for the things that she loved. And the best part was that she accidentally lost five kilos without actually dieting. And this is something that I hear all the time from clients because weight loss is a byproduct of being healthy. It is not something we do to get healthy. And so when you're really supporting your body, keeping it in this anti-stress state, the body's more likely to let go of extra weight. Cool. So Paula, intermittent fasting. Someone else asked, or I think it might have been you before. I am getting to that, don't worry. <laughs> so stress, your hormones, and your body. So this pretty much summarizes what I've been talking about. We go of normal stress response, we have chronic stress, and then we have what's called a cortisol resistance that develops over time. So you can see the pathways that go down through the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. But essentially what happens is the stress comes into the brain, your HPA, which is your hypothalamal pituitary adrenal axis is stimulated. And then we have an inflammatory response. But over time, we can see this cortisol resistance can start to develop and it starts to take its toll on the brain. And the way that this happens is through stress. All of these are forms of stress, caffeine, alcohol, tobacco, other kinds of stimulants, stress itself, and then sugar as well. What this does is this causes those adrenal glands that you just saw that sit above the kidneys to respond to the stresses requiring the production of cortisol and adrenaline, which causes the higher heart rate, higher blood pressure, makes it easier to breathe, 
So we have short, shallow breaths and puts our body into fight or flight. This triggers the pancreas, which is responsible for secreting something called insulin, which is another hormone to actually respond to the high blood sugar levels, which takes the extra blood sugar out of the blood and put it into our fat stores. Then we have a blood sugar crash and the cycle repeats again. And this is all tied into our survival and our stress response. And over time, if this is the chronic cycle that you're stuck in, it leads to things like burnout and adrenal fatigue. It leads to that overwhelm and that toll that it takes on the body. And when it comes to things like intermittent fasting, if you are someone who is not postmenopausal or you are, um, so if you're a female within your uh, menstruating years, it's not something I ever recommend because this starts to take a massive toll on your monthly cycle. However, if you're someone that's postmenopausal or you're a male, you can definitely incorporate intermittent fasting. But again, it's not something that I suggest people do for a prolonged period of time. It's something that can be a great reset. In fact, what I do with a lot of my clients is a four-day fast. So a full four-day microbiome resetting fast, that is far more powerful than your intermittent fasting. In fact, you get the same benefits fasting for 12 hours from like 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. than you would from a six um, from like the 16-8 or the traditional 5-2, whatever kind of intermittent fasting that you're looking at. You might as well just be doing a 12-hour fast and you get to eat more food. Because what happens is we'll quite often reach for a cup of coffee first thing in the morning. What does that do? Causes the stress response, cortisol spikes up. We haven't got any food to calm the cortisol levels down because we're skipping breakfast. And then we're running around on even more adrenaline. And this takes its toll over time. So you're far better off doing a four-day fast, maybe once a quarter, than you are living in this realm of intermittent fasting. That's my opinion. Um, and there's obviously other people that will, that will beg to differ. Cool. So all of this takes its massive toll on your circadian rhythm, which is something that is our sleep-wake cycle. You can see that we should be rising with the sun, not necessarily at six, maybe seven or a little bit later. Our cortisol naturally spikes and then should dip around midday, drop off in the afternoon, evening, and then should be really low as we go into our deep reparative state of sleep because melatonin, which is our nice sleep hormone, starts to take over. And so if you're someone that's wanting to minimize your stress levels and actually get into a healthy cortisol state, regulating your circadian rhythm is one of the key things you can do. So for example, um, making sure that you wake up in the morning and you open up the curtains and there's beautiful sunlight coming in. In terms of the evening, you're winding down, you're shutting down screens, you're allowing your body to really remove the blue light. And if you cannot shut the screens down um, early in the morning, then you definitely, uh, sorry, earlier in the night, then you want to be getting something like your blue light glasses. Cool, thank you, Lisa. Um, so things like that are going to be really, really helpful in helping you regulate your circadian rhythm because every time your body's exposed to blue light, it tells your brain that there's a party going on. And what that does is produces even more cortisol. So instead of this beautiful drop that's supposed to be happening, it starts to pick back up. And then we have that trouble sleeping. So you can see that it influences your sleep-wake cycle, hormone release. It can cause your body to eat um, even more if your circadian rhythm is out of whack. Your body, did, um, your body temperature is all over the place. Digestion becomes dysregulated. There's every single physiological function in the body is affected by sleep. So you really want to be making your sleep and your circadian rhythm a priority. And with that, the hours before midnight have actually been deemed double in terms of sleep quality versus the hours after midnight. So if you're someone that's not getting to sleep till midnight, then I do advise you start to shift that bedtime a little bit earlier. It will take a lot of the stress away from the body, allow you to get that rest and repair and wake up feeling more energized. You're welcome. Thank you. Cool. So final case study. So Justine was a, or is a business owner, also a mum of two, but she was an ex-alcoholic drug addict. And she came to me with something called PMDD, which is um, associated with depression, but around your menstrual cycle. 
So her depression was getting worse. She was feeling burnt out. It was affecting how she showed up in her business, life, relationships. And for two weeks of every month, so half the year in essence, she was not feeling like herself. We did something called a Dutch test, which is actually a hormone test um, where we, it's a dried urine sample. We looked at a full blood analysis and her food and started to implement some changes. So focused on sleep, supplementation, um, foods that supported her. And this is where we did the fast because I knew it was going to be a perfect reset for her, allow her microbiome to have massive shifts without having to go through an intense protocol. And then we focused on the timing of her foods to make sure her blood sugars were staying balanced. So Justine, after doing this over a period of six months of working together, she was able to beat the burnout. So she was no longer feeling burnt out. She was able to start transitioning off her antidepressants and she was actually balancing her hormone levels. And the best part was that she was feeling like herself again and able to show up fully as she wanted to in her life for her family and in her business. There we go, some little origami to help you unwind. So some key strategies, and you know, this is where you just pick whichever ones feel most aligned with you. We've done some diaphragmatic breathing today. You may want to do some deeper research into some breath work and actually allowing the body to get into a completely different state through that. Gratitudes are a beautiful way to calm the body down because you cannot be in a state of fear and gratitude at the same time. Meditation, journaling, going outside and connecting with nature. As a bonus, you'll get some vitamin D. Taking um, really good care of what foods you're putting into the body, so the nutrients to support your gut health and also some additional nutrients if you need them through supplementation. And then looking at having some new time and focusing on your sleep. Love all of those on the list. Yeah, recognizing improvements through positive life changes. Exactly. So I'd love to know in the chat, what is one of those things that you're going to commit to over the next 24 hours? Just one thing that you can try on and see if it works with you. Maybe it was, I'll go back to the list, diaphragmatic breathing, breath work, gratitude, me time and nature. Awesome. Love that, Mike. Breath work for sure. Cool. Wim Hof has an awesome app um, if you want to download that. Plus gratitude. Yes. Me time, nature. Love it, guys. Such easy things to do, but take such a massive stress load off the body. Get back to meditation. Get some sun. Monitoring my sleep. Awesome. So this is where my hope is that we end up um, as a collective, and that is that we manage our stress. We have reduced cortisol levels and as a result, reduced inflammation. This reduces the impact on our gut health and mental health, and we stabilize those blood sugar levels and stabilize our nervous system in order to be in the most beautiful, happy state of optimal well-being. So if you do want to connect, I've just popped my email address there, my website. Um, you will find me more on Instagram than anywhere else. Um, Philip says, what are your views on grounding? Grounding is an amazing exercise. Um, really, really powerful to recharge the negative ions in your body. And um, so it's, it's, I think Ben Greenfield talks about it a lot. Um, talking about it as recharging your human battery. So definitely something you can do for those of you who don't know what grounding is. It's when you get outside, connect with nature, but you're barefoot. You can actually do this on concrete as well. We'll recharge the negative ions, but this might look like standing, um, going for a walk along the beach or standing in the grass or just really, really connecting into the ground, the earth and um, whatever way you can. So going for a walk with your shoes off is obviously a great way to do this. All right. And now it's time for any questions you might have. So I'll stop sharing my screen. Thank you, Cherie. That was a uh, fantastic. And I love the fact that the, the gut and the brain are made of the same stuff. So that, that's a real, I didn't know that. So that's, that's mm. really cool. And you certainly got people um, talking here. And I think you've given them some really practical things to go away with. We've got about five minutes left. So Anybody who um, does have a question, just pop your hand up. I can see you all and we'll jump into it. 
Lisa scratched her ear. I nearly went for you, Lisa. Elri, <laughs> <laughs> all the way from Namibia. Hello. Good morning, Mike, and good morning, everybody. Um, yes, I would like to ask the question, if, if you do the four-day fast, do you go for clear fluids only? Uh, is there a certain way that you do that fast? And what's the follow-up after the fast? Yeah, perfect question. It's a protocol that I've developed. Um, it's particularly off bone broth, but for some clients, it, it's depending on how their bodies digest fats effectively and that sort of thing. Um, but typically a bone broth fast. There are a few other things and elements you have to add in there and you have to be mindful of some of the supplements that you're taking in that. And then afterwards, it's about a reintroduction phase in terms of main food groups. So you're really looking at, for example, gluten um, typically is a very high inflammatory food for most people and does have a big impact on the gut. So if you introduce it, you'd probably introduce it for a few days with not other like whole foods that are, you know, your vegetables and, and high quality proteins. Um, and then see how your body responds to more of those inflammatory food groups. And so you're allowed to, so you can really see what affects you. If you get bloated, if you get feel more stressed, how it impacts your mood and that sort of thing. And then you do that with something like dairy and then maybe something else that, you know, that may be one of the issue foods for you. So that's a great way then to, to determine what really um, causes a problem because then yes. you're adding slowly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you give your body enough time to respond. Thank you. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Any other questions? And for those of you who don't have a question, I would love if you can pop in the chat, what was like a main takeaway from today? Aside from what you're going to implement, was there a fact or was there like an aha moment that really means something for you hi hi Cherie. Hi. uh very interesting thank you um i think i've always been my whole life very aware of you know a lot of the things that you've mentioned but definitely haven't you know dived into it in detail um my question is actually and sorry if you've answered it but if one wanted to consult with you how does that work and, and what's the process um, if you just want to reach out to me via email, I can I can get everything set up from there. Okay. Yeah. You just pop your email family. in the chat, Sheree. Yeah. And you work with families as well, like sort of looking at the holistic way that the family eats, and because I mean, everyone obviously needs different things. So most families eat the same foods, but maybe we shouldn't be all eating the same thing. That kind of do you look at that as well? Yeah. When I approach any client it's looking at their whole lifestyle and a huge part of that is family and creating recipes that are family friendly and and very easy for everyone to to digest and absorb and, and looking at all yeah the whole picture yeah okay perfect sharia sharia wellness.com so you have it there last question for today anybody got a last question here i noticed that uh you've got some things in the chat here mazamo says very interesting um from his basis as a, a zulu um, he believes a lot of that as well. Colleen liked uh, recharge like a phone battery. Angela's uh, confirmation to keep going with the good stuff. So uh, lots of things there, people doing different exercises. And Byron's like his aha moment, the effect of chronic stress to the immune system via the gut. Very mm. good. Cool. Another question, Elry? Yes, please. I was thinking about the gluten, so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm also, well, I know that you can't be half off gluten because you need to be off gluten when you want to be off gluten. And, um, but do you think that uh, gluten is something that mankind shouldn't eat and it, and it affects everybody? Or do you think there's just certain um, people that it affects more? Yeah, so... Really beautiful question. In terms of gluten, every single human being is affected by gluten, by how much depends on your genetic background. For someone like myself, obviously celiac, it's an absolute no-no. Um, but what happens during, like if you look in European countries, a lot of them don't have a huge gluten issue. But in Western countries, we're seeing a lot of autoimmunity come through. We're seeing a lot more um, obesity, all that sort of thing, really chronic inflammation and stress on the body. During the World War, the gluten grain 
over here was actually concentrated fourfold, genetically modified. And so what now one consumes in one slice of bread is actually the equivalent of having four slices of bread. And you take most people's day-to-day -day basis, they have a couple of slices of toast for breakfast, maybe a sandwich for lunch, and some people come home and have some pasta for dinner. And so it's this gluten overload that's occurring. That's, that's that great feedback, Sheree. I never knew that. <laughs> so well done. Wow. Folks, we're, we're out of time, Sheree. I want to thank you so much for um, being on the call today. I think we all learned amazing things. I want to thank everybody for being here. Next week, we're back same time with me. So I look forward to that. And Sheree, thanks once again. And uh, thank you, everybody, for, for being me. on the call. Implement, thanks, implement. <laughs> Fix your health. Thank you.